for October 15th, 2018. It's the Overthinking It Podcast, episode 537. Everything was better when I was a baby. Welcome to the Overthinking It Podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like your smart, funny friends from the internet. I'm never happier when we're talking about the things that we love and the things that we interest us. I am Mark Lee. Uh, Matt Rather and Peter Fenzel are lost in a nostalgia time warp. But with me to discuss the pop-punk high musical, the pop-punk genre, and all things musical and nostalgia-related are your TFT correspondents, actually. Here is Ryan Shealy. Hello. Uh, I am permanently in 2003. And Rachel D. Rachel, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. I can't wait to dissect poppiness and punkiness all at once. <laughs> Are they, are they the same? Are they different? Where does one end and where does the other begin? It's like a big fog that I can't see my hands or like two feet in front of me of. It's all just miasma. It's kind of a turducken, right? It's like, it's, like um, it's, a, it's the pop is inside, the punk is inside, the pop is... It's a, it's a Russian doll turducken of nostalgia. All right, I can't wait to eat into this turducken, but uh, before we do that, let's set the stage here. Uh, Ryan and Rachel came to New York City. We're recording this together, and uh, we all went to see the off-Broadway, or even more like off-off-Broadway. Off, off, off. Off, off, 6th Avenue, I believe. <laughs> yeah, the Off 6th Avenue uh, musical theater production, Pop Punk High. Um, it is set in the year 2003. It is always 2003 in this universe. And I'm going to leave it to either Ryan or Rachel or some combination of the above to give a synopsis of the plot such as it is. Because it's, it's farcical, intentionally farcical and ridiculous, but it's important for uh, the... Uh, for this conversation to get a sense of uh, where this musical is coming from and uh, what it has to say about this type of music. I, you know, so I think this is a very hard plot to explain in some ways, but because <laughs> I, I think setting up the concept, the concept is very abstract. And I would say the best place to start is imagine a music video for like Blink-182 or uh, Lit or any of the sort of like emo, pop emo songs of of that time period and then try to imagine like the tropes of those music videos and that is sort of the breed that is the basis for the universe of pop punk high uh in this universe it is always 2003 per the idea and i don't really think it's actually really 2003 but more so like that is a way to mark the kind of tropes that you're going to see in this universe so this universe is like vaguely california uh, it's kind of suburban. It's kind of well off, and it is a high school where everyone is a is into pop punk and is punk in some sort of like marker or way. The most popular guy in school is excellent at skateboarding and uh, looks very much like a classic like uh, you know like kind of punk meathead of sort. And then you know, and the most popular girl in school has bright orange hair and is wearing like fishnet. Um, you know, tights worn when torn jean shorts. She kind of has a very stylized look. Everyone has a very, you know, has this very punk look. And the everyone aspires to be sort of the most like punk or pop punk, not even punk, just the most pop punk within like the parameters of like the tropes of these kinds of music videos and the songs. Um, so it's a very kind of like nonconformist conformity at this mm. high school. It, it's also important to note that 
Avril Lavigne, or perhaps more accurately, the ghost slash genie of Avril Lavigne, uh, looms over all the proceedings of this. And she made her debut onto the scene, I think, in 2002. But she is constantly referred to as the pop punk uh, queen, I believe, um, and is kind of uh, looked up to and idolized uh, by all the people in this, in, in the characters in this musical, which I think is not really accurate to the time i think so i guess let's let's start with the discussion with this question because we all to different degrees grew up in the late more in the late 90s as opposed to early 2000s because we're all high schoolers in in the late 90s um we grew up as fans of the genre and in some cases participants of it either you know going to the band's warp tour or playing in bands that played a lot of pop punk music uh ourselves so with that on our minds like to what extent is this musical uh, an accurate depiction of this time and this genre of music. And I guess the follow-up question that is, does it even matter? It's yeah. Pop Punk High is a, a documentary and the events are filmed in real time. I think is the, <laughs> is the answer. Um, no, you know, it is, I think that, you know, pop punk as I experienced it, I think we all had various degrees of cognitive dissonance because we recognized and knew things that were poppy punk music um, that were before 2003, right? Um, and even so, I think one other thing is that this event, um, after the musical, there was a brief costume contest and then um, live band pop punk karaoke. And some of the songs in that, and the ones that I think we were most likely to sing um, in our group were, were Green Day's Basket Case um, and Blink-182, All the Small Things, and What's My Age Again, which were all out in the 90s, right? Well before 2003. So I think there's a little bit of... You know, there was the, we already experienced pop punk, which was like, again, both punk that was somehow some rough edges were sanded off, uh, sanded off and kind of crossed over into the mainstream alongside, um, uh, alternative, right? It was kind of a punk Trojan horse. Um, but I think even before, um, punk became poppy in the late nineties, um, there was also, popular leaning punk music kind of as far back as punk goes right so even yeah. even before green day got popular they were playing this kind of more slightly more melodic form of um of of punk i think before that you have bands like um the descendants and all um which were kind of like bridged from melodic hardcore into punk and then even like within um like classic punk, you have the Buzzcocks and the Clash have um, poppier leanings as well, right? So I think that um, that by localizing in 2003, right, that by 2003, there were another crop of bands that had uh, become popular. And I think Avril Lavigne in fashion and style was also associated at that time with the rise of uh, some 41. And then what really is a little bit more of the pop uh, the mainstream crossover of emo, right? Bands like um, Newfound Glory, um, Yellow Card is kind of right on the borderline um, between emo and pop punk, Fallout Boy as well, right? And so by setting it in 2003, right, that I would say th- this is situating the um, the musical um, in a moment after I think probably all three of us had probably lost interest in pop punk as a genre and yes. we had moved on. Um, and so it is maybe about a pop punk, but it is not 
are pop punk. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, uh, you know, what is the, um, what's the line in, uh, Paul Simon in Graceland, right? Every, every generation sends a hero up the pop punk charts, right? <laughs> Basically. Um, so I do think, uh, that this is, there is an accuracy here, um, but it's of a generation that is probably, I'd say, 10 years younger than us. So um, if we were 22, 23, or yeah, 20, but in our early 20s in, um, in 2003, I'd say this musical was written and performed by people who were probably tweens. Um, in 2003, so they have a a tween's eye view um, of of pop of the late era pop punk, and I think that this is accurate of that perspective, right? That kind of arm's length aspirational distance towards the late age of of poppy punk, which which is the uh, fascinating to think about from the perspective of nostalgia and how. Right. Uh, that is constructed. But, but before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit more about the signifiers of this genre mm-hmm. and this subculture, uh, because I feel like one of the things that made this musical so interesting is that uh, pop punk was this thing for such a sh- relatively short period of time. Uh, it came and it went, uh, at least in, 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 ter- in, in terms of the mainstream. Um, and now it's having this nostalgic moment, at least, you know, from the perspective of the off, off Broadway <laughs> theater scene. Um, but I mean, let's, let's, let's cash that out a little bit. Right. I mean, like, you know, uh, beyond, uh, the music acts that we talked about that were popular at the time, right. There's the skateboarding culture. There's a certain aesthetic to, to hair and, and clothing as well. Um, that's there. And, and I can say that we, we were there for that, I think, in the late 90s, right? Um, just one example, like the, the pop punk band that I played in. Uh, and if you're lucky, we might splice in a little bit of audio from one of the songs oh, wow. um, for maximum Markley embarrassment. Um, we, uh, for rehearsal, uh, one of our rituals, either before or after, would sit down and play the Tony Hawk uh, skateboarding video game uh, for the PlayStation <laughs> and perform amazing sick uh, moves that... We can never do on actually on a real skateboard. I could, I still to this day cannot like you know go over five feet on a skateboard. Um, you were so, you were digital punks, right? Like, yeah, yeah. So so that was there. That was reflected in in the musical, and it's a, it's a it's a particular plot point. Um, what are the other things as well that you saw that particularly struck out to you that uh, are part of this pop punk aesthetic? I actually think one of the biggest things, a really striking thing, and I think Rachel also said something like, "Are you serious?" Uh, when he appeared, but the lead, and I think it was the guy who. Um, wrote and conceived of this musical, played the, the lead character, shows up and has this bleached blonde yes, kind of shaggy absolutely. hair. Um, and then long cargo shorts that are down down to his shins with then tube socks pulled up um, under those. And then a, I believe a long sleeve or a t-shirt with a long sleeve shirt underneath, right? And that, every piece of that look was so on point. especially, yes. But the hair, especially that kind of, Surfery, skatery, um, bleached, tousled hair. Um, like short, short, but like not shaved, right? It was kind of just like a grown out. It's like it had been shaved at some point and was grown out. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a good like indicative look, and even like the uh, the I guess like the meathead uh, jock. I don't know, like the kind of character that fills the trope of like arrogant alpha male at the school yeah. uh, had that look of like suburban punk, right? It was like this punk look many times sort of like filtered through uh, like his life experience and like living in this universe, right? It was like kind of like a, I, he had like a cut off jean vest look, yeah. right? 
and like kind of long shorts and something that would look sort of mohawkish but not quite. Um, I would say like that is also like an indicative look of this like genre. I mean, I think I think the one thing that we're circling around and we mentioned the suburbanness, but I, I'd say a very important vector of this whole world and subculture was a hot topic, right? And so mm-hmm. this was a mall punk aesthetic, yeah. and so it was kind of. It, in hindsight, narcissism of small differences with Abercrombie and American Eagle, right? And <laughs> at the time, it felt so different because it was like, you know, it's in a different um, a different corner of the mall. But in retrospect, it's kind of part of the same overall style, right? And so it doesn't look or feel that much different from you know, what you see in American Pie or teen movies of that era. But it's like, it's that with just the slightest bit of punk dust um, uh, just just over top of it. But it's really this kind of 90s layered kind of cash, casual preppy type thing with then just like a little bit of tearing and fishnetting and plaiting uh, as a little bit of, uh, of punk dust uh, sprinkled on top. Is something else to add on to this? Cause you're talking about the mall and Abercrombie and Fitch and the suburbs and things like that is that this is um, really indicative of a white subculture, yeah. right? Um, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying that Pac Punk High is a white supremacist act. No, we are not saying that. I, what we are saying, though, is, that, like, in, in part of the world that this musical has created is that, like, uh, it is, uh, you know, it's an alternate world where pop punk is the dominant music genre. And, um, you know, to compare that against what was going on in the real world at the time and, you know, it's continued to, 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 to persist, is that African-American forms of music, R&B, hip-hop in particular, are really nowhere to be found yeah. on the scene. So I think, like, um, this subgenre was a way to project rebelliousness, a certain sort of form of safe rebelliousness uh, in a way that uh, you either couldn't or chose not to um, when, when using hip hop. Right. In other words, like, you know, I blasted Green Day from my stereo because I couldn't or chose not to blast Biggie. I was bla- I was an equal opportunity uh, blaster from my stereos. Um, and uh, but it is interesting. It is Certainly in terms of kind of participating visually in the culture, I think. And again, I was, I'd say in in high school, it really wasn't that f- far apart, right? Actually, in middle school, I was more into the alternative-y, Green day thing. Um, but in high school, I feel like, you know, I, I dropped some of the spikes um, and just, you know, and, and maybe picked up a hacky sack or two, right? Like, it's again, <laughs> these things were not so far from each other. Um, I think, I mean, the other dimension, um, in addition to the, the whiteness, and, and this is kind of a more explicit theme of the, um, the show, is the maleness, right? Is, is yes. kind of that this is, is, was a very bro-y scene, right? And, and in the, um, the musical, I guess, spoilers for Pop Punk High, um, <laughs> that, like, you know, one of the big, um, plots and uh, is that the main character is trying to win over the girl of his dreams, the hottest girl in pump pop punk high school, Amanda Bunkface. Um, and to, he feels that to win her over, he needs to beat her boyfriend, um, the Alpha, uh, in a skateboard contest and in the battle of the bands. Um, and so, and and one of the themes though is that in fact treating a woman like a tro- trophy to be won is uh, is not no way to behave right and and so there is a little bit of a skewering of the bro code and the um, and the the female lead is 
frustrated at being a roadie or a trophy or a hanger-on. Um, and it, it, it was very interesting, because I think that this was a actually reasonably kind of woke corner of where this musical um, occupied. But then the audience itself was super dutical, right? <laughs> and, uh, and in the karaoke itself, it devolved into a kind of circle of, of, of 30-something dudes yelling each other's faces, right? Uh, yeah, it was reached as apotheosis for the yellow card song Ocean Avenue, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which if you're not familiar with it, go check it out. Um, it's, it's, it's chorus, like it has this whole like basically pining for a lost love kind of thing. Like it goes like, if I could find you now, things would get better. But like, just like really emoting. It, if, you, if you'll allow me to indulge myself, it's like, if I could find you now, things would get better. <laughs> it's only slightly less whiny than that in real life. The the you is like your the your last lost sense of self, right? That we were all singing, all all oh, of us man. bros, oh. we were all singing to our lost oh. selves. And, like, coming to the core. Like if I could find you now 20 20 something me i would grab you by your spiky lapels and say never let go young emo youth (laughs) run away from the future young man punk forever but right but to be clear right that 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 younger version of ourselves was being lampooned in the musical itself that preceded pop punk karaoke right it's you know self-absorbed um you know very male-centric point of view that, you know, women are these strange objects to trophies to be won. Yeah, it's interesting because I do think that is a part of it. And it's, I mean, this is really kind of more a tangential thought. Like, I I just, it's funny because I think, I think punk and pop punk, the genres get like, you know, sort of tainted uh, reputationally by that perception you know, but when I think there, I think there is, I think this is a too much of a tangent. So, no, no, but, go, but I go just, for it. Roll, you know, I think there's a real space and need for like female, like rage and like expressions of female anger and rage in a safe setting. Right. And so it makes people like Kathleen Hanna, like very like notable in that respect for like being like one of these people who like acknowledge that. Right. Like she explicitly had the policy of women to the front. Right, women to and, the and, front of the space. And this is that bikini kill. And right? bikini like, kill shows, yeah, yeah, and like riot girl culture. Like you know, women want to you know like slam dance too. Like you know, people like there's like a space like and and like desire for that. But I agree that I think the genre um, does have this like broiness, right, and does have this kind of exclusionary vibe. Um, and it's, I think sometimes there's this kind of interesting, I think that has like dogged the genre reputationally quite in like hardcore as well, right? That these are, these are places like that, you know, like women and like minorities are going to be turned off to. And I think with reason, but it, you know, it's also this kind of thing where it's like, well, you know, I feel like there's like a need for like the, like the alternative space, for like women and like people of color to also want to do this, you know, and, and, like, was, and enjoy the genre on like their own terms, you know. And this was like a big um, a plot point, right? Where the uh, the the Amanda character creates a band and plays the battle band. And what was her song supposed to be? I it think was, it, her band at least was called Deaf Pussy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and and their song was called Dad Effer. Um, yeah. <laughs> but they can't go on the stage yeah. because. <laughs> <laughs> right, because in a kind of what is is it monkey's paw? Yeah, yes. this is a definite monkey's paw situation. Yeah, in a yeah. monkey's paw situation, uh, the lead Derek he spends his third wish with Avril Lavigne, the you know ghost genie, ghost genie. supernatural person. Um, 
by asking for what is it like fifteen feet long? It, it, the ask keeps growing. But he asks for a um, very large penis. Yes, very very large penis. <laughs> Comically large, definitely like um, disgustingly large. Right? It's like a, a you like know, an anaconda. Like an anaconda, and it. It is so large and cumbersome that it takes up, like, too much of the stage and too much attention <laughs> and basically forces uh, the band Deaf Pussy off the stage. Yeah, I guess his anaconda don't want none because it is actually cumbersome and impractical. <laughs> but that song doesn't exist in this universe. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and just to kind of, you know, this is, like, actually a weird, like... It's kind of a, I, I say this is kind of a, a post-Avenue Q innovation. It's like, I was really surprised, right? It was, I guess it was, it was, it was Chekhov's impractically large um, penis, right? Because it is, you know, the, the character mentioned there's a song where he's making his three wishes. Um, and it's like, wish one is I want a magic skateboard. Wish two, I want a magic uh, guitar to win the battle of the bands. And then wish three, and he's just like, and I want a giant penis. And it's. And uh, and he keeps coming back to it, and then he says, I'm, I'm ready for my third wish, but doesn't say it again. So you think it's going to, he's going to veer into something more woke, and kind of he's going to have his character realization then. And then he staggers onto the stage with this basically... Um, like five foot long puppet wang, um, and it's it's like felt, um, and it's it's great because um, you know it is this like this was very present in this genre, and I, mean, I think about it with like Blink One Eighty Two, right? Blink One Eighty Two became famous for their video for "What's My Age Again," where they're streaking blurred out, right? And there was lots of kind of aggressive kind of sexual humor dudishness, right? And so, and, and there's a lot of this kind of, you know, taunting in this musical. And I remembered at the time around, you know, direct kind of sexual masculine, masculine hazing, right? About, um, right, and the way that the word gay is is thrown around and, the, and like, you know, where they, they keep, I think, calling him, um, like a pen, a needle dick or something like right. that, right? And, and, and so it is really... It is really focused on kind of that 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 manifestation of toxic masculinity. I mean, does does the the parody work? Does the satire? Does the kind of woke critique effective, or or do they kind of have their giant wiener and eat it too? <laughs> I, I actually thought it was effective. I actually think it was like kind of the most effective or compelling thing about the musical is that I, I don't think it was trying too hard, but had a pretty, like, kind of naturally... I feel like everyone was kind of very naturally woke, like they came to it on their own time. Derek really, like, came to the realization he was being a jerk and, like, a totally... Like, about the right pacing for a musical in which you're standing the entire time. So it was, like, neither... <laughs> you know, so it was, like, everything, I think, felt like the... I felt like the development didn't feel too, too rushed or crazy. I mean, obviously, this isn't, like... The writing is not, like, the most, like, you know, subtle character studies on the face of the world. But, like, you know, at the same time, I felt like the... Nothing felt, like, that rushed or that crazy to me as far as, like, the... The lessons learned. Yeah. My take on uh, this aspect of this, the satirical aspect of this musical is that it belongs to a broader genre, I don't know if genre is the right word, but a broader technique, let's say, of lampooning and um, satirizing 
the genre, we're also celebrating it mm-hmm. at the same time. Um, it's a, like, you know, this musical very much goes out of its way to uh, criticize the toxic broiness that we've been talking about. But at, ultimately, at the end of the day, it is a very earnest celebration of the music and the subculture um, and like a particular slice of American youth in that regard. I, I would put in the same category of technique as I think you mentioned Avenue Q as well, mm-hmm. right? Um, as uh, a lampooning and also a celebration of the, the Sesame Street puppet culture, um, Team America World Police for action movies, the South Park, mo- uh, the South Park movie slash musical for um, for for musicals <laughs> itself. So um, I, I I appreciated that, and I think that uh, it, it, it I could be wrong, but I feel like this is a later development in the sort of satire and spoof movement where um, you go back to like airplane and the naked gun. It's more like, haha, these disaster movies and these cop shows, look how dumb they are. Ha ha ha. Let's have make, let's have fun at the expense of this rather than uh, fully uh, indulging in the pleasures of them. And the other thing that notably uh, in that speaking of cop shows is hot fuzz. Um, mm. Do you feel that way that, that this is sort of a, a more recent thing or has it been there all along? It does feel it does feel more recent in that it is it is like a um, it's indulging in it both ways because you are I, I do feel like the nostalgia is still the sell right because I, I think that and because it's paired with the the karaoke right and like the soundtrack like before and between the sets is very much um, like celebrating the songs right so it is. Um, it is it is really uh yeah it really kind of keeps you there i mean it's it's interesting i i'm thinking about like another maybe a, a, to kind of think about the kind of parody piece vis-a-vis the nostalgia piece is um another musical that we all saw that kind of lives in the nostalgia place in a different way um is jagged little pill the alanis morissette musical that was um recently premiered in boston and i think i mean i am certain will make its way to new york and uh i would be not totally shocked if it becomes kind of the next Hamilton level um, kind of national phenomenon because it was a thing where and and this is like the target audience is a actually I'd say about our age or a notch a, older a than us. Older. Mm-hmm. We went to a, a showing um, and I was with a friend of mine who is I think about thirty nine forty right so about three to four years older and who was like peak Alanis Morissette yes. fan. Um, and so, you know, the, the conceit of, of Jagged Little Pill, it is, is a song from Alanis uh, Morissette's um, 90s album, Jagged Little Pill, and a few other Alanis songs, but it is set in a story in 2018, and it's a story of a family that has a host of 2018 problems um, around drug addiction, um, around sexual violence, around kind of uh, race and gender identity, um, and so it is also a very self-consciously woke musical that's yes. also um, engaging in wanting to hear You Ought to Know and Ironic um, and One Hand in My Pocket mm-hmm. uh, and then have that gratification. So I don't know if, if you guys both also saw this musical. I mean, how does that kind of engage in on the the nostalgia versus kind of parody nostalgia um, axis that we kind of were, were talking about with um, Pop Punk High? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that musical, uh, Jagged Little Pill, is definitely... It's much more serious, Uh, and it takes itself a lot more seriously than this musical does. I think in some ways, though, this musical is, like, a lot weirder, 
Right. I just the construction of the meta universe of pop punk high <laughs> kind of raises all these like odd questions. You start thinking about you know, it almost comes off this like this bizarre dystopia that like, you know, <laughs> they all because there's not even talk in pop punk high of like, what are they all doing when they graduate? Do they just get killed? I mean, like, <laughs> what happens? Is it in some ways and it's I think it's like the universe kind of presented in pop punk high is and I think the lead of the show kind of sets us up where they go like, oh, do you remember when things were simpler, when things were better? Uh, you know, welcome to It's Always 2003, right? And so for a certain cohort, 2003, for some reason, is like the year to glom onto is like the nostalgic peak, like, I don't know, it's like for like, it's like the conservatives version of like, <laughs> of like Main Town, right? Or like Main Street USA is like 2003, like hot topic, like walking around <laughs> getting like a pretzel or something. And so, um, you know, and, and so this is odd thing where it's like pop punk high is not, it's again, it's, it goes back to the idea of like, this isn't really 2003, but it's like this kind of like, we were all in our adolescence and we were so naive, mm. right? And this is what, this is what pop punk high is, right? And I, so I think, it, I think that message is kind of there, but it's definitely a lot more buried. It's a lot more in the subtext, right? And I think there's more, in some ways, I think that, mu- like this musical, pop punk high, had a lot more subtext than Jagged Little Pill. Where it's like, Jagged Little Pill, <laughs> like, everything is out on the table right away. Like, yeah, yeah. we're not naive. We're all just, like, hiding our pain and struggling. And <laughs> these are the issues we are dealing with. So let me illustrate the subtlety of Jagged Little Pill. And that, like, you know, the Jagged Little Pills are not metaphorical. They're just opioids. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, right. And there is, um, a, the main character's name is Mary Jane. And there is an Alanis Morissette song uh, off of Jagged Little Pill called Mary Jane. Right. And so right. there is a little bit of this... It is very interesting that they opted not to go in the jukebox musical, um, go biopic, right? And instead kind of take these songs and try to say, right, so it's that there is nostalgia, but it's also a stronger claim of that this is timeless, right? And I I think that that's also the case in Pop Punk High, but it's that, you know— in public high, it is timeless because we will never be past 2003. But in, in um, Jagged Little Pill, it is that these, the kind of issues, right? Because Jagged Little Pill is this singer-songwriter song about Alanis's kind of particular experiences as a young woman at a time. There's a lot of kind of relationship and kind of her negotiating her relationship with the world. And, and I think it's much more saying that process of kind of adolescence and growing up um, is is universal and is kind of ten uh, and, and even potentially right is the the pill is jagged now more than ever mm-hmm. right um, is kind of the message of jagged little pill right yeah okay You're, you bring up an interesting distinction yeah. there of timelessness versus nostalgia I want to yeah. talk on that thread a little bit more um, at, there's at a practical level I feel like something has to have given a good 20 to 30 years to breathe before we can declare something to be timeless, right? Jagged mm-hmm. Little Pill came out in 1995. Um, so, you know, 20 years later, sure. All right, we can call that timeless. Um, the world of pop punk high with its late 90s and early 2000s, uh, and also kind of frankly, like for lack of a better word, more throwaway types of references, is a more of a play towards a, a disposable nostalgia, right? And uh, let's just tick off some of the of those references um, so you get a feel for what's going on here, right? Uh, fruit roll-ups, 
uh, AOL Instant Messenger. Mm. Uh, what else? The kind of things just kind of like I mean, ephemera that came in. Axe Body Spray. Axe Body Spray, yes. Yes. Um, so uh, I, I guess that's to say what? That. Um, you know, no one. They're not making a claim that 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 those uh, that ephemera is is timeless by no means, but it gives the simple pleasure of nostalgia. So that you know, there's there's room for both. But the Atlantis musical is clearly going for timelessness, and and pop punk high is leaning much more for that uh, the nostalgia piece. Yeah, well, it, but it is kind of creating a. It's timeless in a much more existential sense of. Um, and, and, you know, again, even in the musical, they set up that by presidential decree, it is always 2003. So it is a, a land without time, right? Um, but that in some ways you have to, because the, the references and the music isn't timeless, like you, you, it has to be created as an artificial thing in order to indulge in the nostalgia. Um, I mean, here's a question. Which, which did each of you enjoy more, Pop Punk High or Jagged Little Pill? Hmm. <laughs> That's a good oh. it, it's, it's, it's unfair to compare the two of them. I mean, just from a uh, purely from the perspective of the experience, right? Pop Punk High is much more intimate and it's, I'd say participatory because, you know, you're like just crowded up on this, in a small, next to a small stage at a rock concert like you were back in 1999 at the Vans Warped Tour, right? Whereas the Jagged Little Pill musical is much more as a traditional musical theater experience. You sit down in a large auditorium. So I, I can't even, like, put them on the same, like, the same axis. I'm yeah, sorry. I like Pop Punk Pie be- better, too. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, no, is they're very, they're very different, and they have very different aims, right? I think that it was very striking, like the amount of energy of Pop Punk High, it really has, and there, I guess that's maybe the most punk thing about Pop Punk High, it has a spirit of do-it-yourself putting on a show, right? And mm-hmm. because this, as we said, it was in a music venue, like a rock music venue, um, and so you, there were not, was not really seating, except for in the back, and you were standing there like at a concert, and it was tiny, right, and this cast of ten were there singing, dancing, and rocking, like right uh, among uh, among you and kind of in like in your face. So it kind of had almost it wasn't exactly immersive theater in the way of uh, Sleep No More, but it like it really had this energy and scrappiness, where Jagged Little Pill. Definitely, right? So this is, you know, the songs were a lot more set. The um, book was written by Diablo Cody of Juno fame, um, directed and kind of um, artistic directed by Diane Paulus, who has kind of an amazing pedigree um, in the theater world. And so it is definitely, this is, this is a serious and important theater um, event for our time, which I guess maybe I'm a little allergic to that as well. And I mean, I really like the high points of Jagged Little Pill are really high. Like, the showstopper of You Oughta Know is excellent. Um, the setup of How They Do Ironic, in that it is the reading of a poem in high school English class. And somebody actually points out the long uh, overthinking it, Hobby Horse, that the, the cases of irony in, uh, um, in Ironic are not actually irony, <laughs> right? The Morissettian irony. And so there is a lot of, of fun and a lot of... Um, of of energy, but I do think that it's like hitting the marks of the ultimately really serious and somber message with 
you know, it's not that pop music shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be serious, but there is something of like a little bit of shoehorning that's going on with like the story and the message of the very of 2018 story in Jagged Little Pill um, and the nostalgia purpose. Like they're kind of working at, at cross purposes for each other, I guess, because we were sort of saying this is that the show wants to have a progressive message, but can you have progressive nostalgia? Right. Um, and, and I think that I think that this is like the question, actually, something that unites pop punk high um, and and Jagged Little Pill yeah. is that they want they want to be living in both worlds. They're celebrating a prior time and a prior music, but want to be on the right side. They, they both want to be on the right side of history. Um, and uh, and that's both like thinking about history uh, in, in, in the, the styles and culture that they're referring to and then how they will be remembered uh, in, their, in their contribution in the current cultural discourse. I, I think, Drink. like, the, <laughs> the, the horrible... If you play this out, this play for nostalgia uh, to justify your present uh, state, if you play it out to its horrible, logical conclusion, you get the world of Ready Player One. Where that's all they have right. <laughs> is the nostalgia, and they use that to justify their current existence, which is devoid of its own any of its own uh, cultural signifiers, any of its and true progressiveness in terms of art that um, is new and advances the culture forward. Yeah, that's that's actually really interesting, and that itself. I mean, we've been kind of talking a little bit about dystopias, and so. Uh, I mean, so wait, is that, are we saying that the, the kind of nostalgic jukebox musical, uh, is a sign of the impending dystopia? Like, are we, will we all, will life actually become, like, are we actually all headed for uh, our own pop punk high school? Um, <laughs> I, I don't have a lot of data to back up the alternate, uh, <laughs> prediction, so I'm gonna have to go with a qualified yes, to borrow a phrase from the DFT podcast. Right, right. Uh, so we're actually not living in a simulation. We're living in, in a piece of musical theater. Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> which is worse? I don't know. Um, as wanted, as long as I have a good role. Yeah. <laughs> no, unfortunately, we're all in the chorus. That's the thing, is that in, in, in dystopian musical land, everyone is in the chorus and no one is a lead. No, and right? no, if you are a lead, you're going to get fridged. Right, right. Uh, we, we, we picked this up earlier. I want to make sure we cover this as a part of a nostalgic conversation, which is like the age of the people that are advancing the, and participating in the nostalgic act. Mm-hmm. Because uh, we our best guess, we don't know for sure, but the, the creators of punk pop high, uh, we're pop punk high, we're probably maybe in middle school <laughs> uh, when this uh, at, at the time of the genre was particularly ascendant. Um, there's uh, oh, there's the other interesting thing that that we were uh, looking at. Prior to recording this, which is the new Charlie XCX music video, 1999, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's a, it's a celebration of pop culture from that year, 1999. And she and the other music artists that were involved in its creation were, what, less than 10 years old yeah. in the year 1999, right? I think one was, Charlie XCX was seven and Troy Sivan was like four in 1999 so it's like yeah everything was better when i was a when i was a baby <laughs> so, so one of the ideas we had is that like you know um uh, part of some of the nostalgia plays uh are about uh you know um being 
a little bit ahead of your time in that regard. Like, you know, if, if I were in elementary or middle school, then I can go ahead and rewind a, a, the clock a few more years and say that, you know, the, 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 the pop culture that the high schoolers at the time were in, engaging in, I can go ahead and grab that as well, too. So that's definitely a real thing. One something we've talked about um, a lot in terms of batting above your uh, above your uh, your height um, for uh, for engaging with the culture. Um, but the Charlie XCX example of, of what what did we say like you know, something less than ten years old like seems pretty extreme though, right? Like what claim do they really have to that? It doesn't even matter. Well, <laughs> let me answer your question with another question: of Have you ever been to an eighties party? Right. Yes. Have I have I watched and enjoyed the television show Stranger Things? Well, right. Exactly. Yes. So it's like Stranger Things or The Americans for us is is like Charlie XCX. Um, uh, uh, is Charlie XCX um, celebrating 1989? Right. Like nine, 19, or 1999. Right. So 1989 is our 1999. Mm-hmm. Right. Is that? Is yeah. It was all just colors and shapes, but it was a very specific set of colors and shapes. Uh, and it was the color and shapes of a very specific time that I am nostalgic for. <laughs> right? And, uh, and and you do have this sense of, I think the music video is good, and it captures something that is a little bit in pop punk high, of there are a lot, the, the references are all there. Um, so in, in the Tri-XCX video, there's Titanic, there's Backstreet Boys, there's NSYNC, there's Eminem. Um, the Matrix. The Matrix. But they're all in, they're just, they're in montage form, right? And they're, they're not in a logical relation to each other, um, but they are just in a sense of these were things, right? It's a little bit like uh, the, the Wizard of Oz. Like, you were there and you were there right? and Justin Timberlake was there <laughs> and Britney was there and, and Keanu was there, um, right? And, uh, and, and, that, and I think Pop Punk Pie has that. Pop punk, pop punk pie is a different thing, and it's delicious. <laughs> um, uh, pop punk high has that in that um, right that like you mentioned, there was a fruit roll up or a fruit by the foot, which is a little more '90s, and kind of Blink 182 is there, which is '90s. But then you get emo, you get um, you you get a number of other kind of later musical styles all kind of crammed together in in this kind of. Um, montage, right? So there is this sense. I think when you're viewing it from being younger, it's more like you know that these are the references and signifiers, but you don't know the context and you don't know how to put them together. Um, and so you can kind of just have them more as a, as this flip impressionistic flipbook, right? No, I think the impressionistic flipbook is spot on, and I think you have to remember too that, and this happened to us with like the '80s party and even I would say '70s stuff. Um, you know, I, I'm realizing now that I'm hitting the age where I'm supposed to have children, um, that like at some point people start selling to you as like a parent, like your nostalgia that, so you might in turn sell it to your children. Right. And so we were going, while we were growing up, I remember in middle school, there's this like resurgence of like, uh, I have this whole collection of these like little tin lunch boxes with like basically like seventies Saturday morning mm-hmm. cartoon people like and and like even earlier like the Hanna Barbera properties mm-hmm. like uh, Mighty Mouse those things were all like kind of briefly popular I mean, when I was like a tween early teenager and so like obviously I have no real relationship to any of that <laughs> right. But I was in the culture, and it was something I could buy at Wet Seal, right? Which was like, I guess, the Urban Outfitters of its time, right? <laughs> and so, you know, as a result, like, you know, you gotta remember, everyone is being sold, like, not only like 
what the older kids are doing, but they're being sold like the basically the young parents of that time as well, like their nostalgia. That's really interesting. I mean, another piece is that I remember like there were like these weird places where disco rebubbled back up in the nineties as well, right? Um, And that was like again, it was people were. I guess there's like a lot of throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks, right? And that's either with the youth or with their parents, right? And mm-hmm. and there's, I think, different a few different um, ways that that works. But I do think, because, like, for younger kids, there's a time where the kids will take their cues and styles from the parents. And then, there, then there's, like, and then the switch flips and there's the rebellion point, right? And that's actually, we didn't talk about this, but that's a very salient piece of pop punk high is that there are parent characters and they are this very, very stereotyped idea of how parents look um, in the music videos of this time, right? They're all in like pastels and this kind of, this mishmash of like 80s yuppie and like 50s kind of conservative. Um, and they, they, have, they have one song that's kind of jazzy and they tap dance. Um, and their main role is to be very nice but boring. Uh, and, uh, and, and for the main character to go like, you know, screw you mom, screw you dad, um, <laughs> again and again. But what was amazing about this is, so there, this is being played out, right? And that there is this entire um, dynamic of, over and over of like, you know, there's even a song about how my parents suck and they're posers, right? <laughs> um, and so there's all these songs about parents being posers. And like most of this audience were the parents of the people who are in the show. <laughs> and there's one moment where the, the characters, right, the 20-somethings who are playing parents are doing their jazzy tap dance song. And I look over uh, and two, I'm almost certain the parents of one of the parents um like wandered up and take photographs of <laughs> and photographs and video of their kid. Uh, and it was just this amazing kind of thing of, you know, well, you know, obviously um, the, uh, uh, the parents have finally stopped listening to the, uh, uh, to the, uh, the exhortion to, um, to F off, right. They have not F'd off. They in fact um, have supported their kids. And you know, at a certain point, if you're making a independent musical, like you've actually probably were getting taken to your music lessons and your theater practices. Um, and you were actually not the, the slacker skater during high school, right. You were actually the theater kid. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so it was just, I, I think, really seeing the the kind of uh, the relationship with the parents, both as it was depicted as the ideal type um, pop punk parental relationship. And then in reality, and even some of the parents made cameos in the pop punk karaoke, I think most notably during um, The Middle by Jimmy Eat World, which was, I guess we've learned, um, what genre is that? The answer is dad rock. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Punk, punk, pop punk and dad rock have fused into one. And it was was a strange but beautiful, beautiful creation. Um, While we're talking about the parents, something else to think about um, is that, to be clear, you know, the, the rebellious... Uh, lead of pop punk high is telling you know his his parents that they're losers and posers um, and constantly rebelling against them. But the parents themselves are clearly portrayed as nothing, uh, only nurturing and yeah. and good and wholesome and want the best <laughs> for their son. Like just in an over the top comical way. But that's never up for, for question. Um, contrast that, of course, to Jagged Little Pill, mm-hmm. where the parents are disconnected, selfish, um, self-absorbed, not communicating with each other, and not supporting the children in in the biggest kind of way. I mean, in, in, in a full and complete way. Um, I guess all of it is to say that, you know, there's room in our pop culture, uh, whether it's you know, within the nostalgia band or otherwise, for 
both of those types of stories, right? You know, parents, there is the whole spectrum of parenthood from uh, n- nurturing to not nurturing. And so we can have all those different things. But yes, parents are losers. I mean, that we can all agree on. Well, I guess, I mean, I think that part of why, why how that works in Jagged Little Pill is that the protagonist's parents are in their 40s, I would say, like kind of mid-40s. So they are... Gen Xers, right? So that they are, even though they're not ever really reminiscing, um, they're not really reminiscing for the 90s, they are about, like, they are the protagonists, right? So here, parents are people, too, in this. So as much as it is kind of a full ensemble and it focuses on this entire family, I do think that the 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 pain and story of these parents is much more... Um, is much more present. And I think that there is a lot that is a kind of suburbia is really present. The kind of 2018 suburbia is present in Jagged Little Pill, but it's as this very soul cycle Starbucksified suburbia where there are these hyper competitive, um, you know, it's, it's depicted as these hyper competitive, um, perfectionist, perfectionistic mobs in kind of a, Kind of suburban. It felt like suburban New York. Kind of is the is yeah. the setting, right? So, and it felt like a Long Island or Westchester kind of um, environment. And so there's a little bit of right that pop punk high is from the perspective of kids who've never been away from their parents and really never been in a city, right? It's sub- suburbia is all they know. You feel that the um, in in jagged little pill that these are for, for formerly urban um, kind of college students, cooler college students, and kind of 90s kind of Gen Xer slackers who then get suburbanized right. and ground down um, by by life, right? And, and to the point that they are disconnected, drug addicted, um, and kind of dis- and, and, and pressuring their, their family in, in v- various ways. Um, and so it is interesting, but it, it definitely... Rather than the caricature of parents that are in um, Pop Punk High, this is, you know, the what is what is hard and 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 is one of the jagged little pills of jagged little pill is about kind of being a parent but still being yourself. And I think it's it's a way in which it works, right? And I think that that you know um, it was a point of departure for all of the creators of the shows thinking about parenthood, um, even if someone who feels kind of connected to your youth in one way or another. Okay. Um, any other closing thoughts on uh, Pop Punk High, Jagged Little Pill, or nostalgia in general? I mean, where does this go from here? We kind of, our nostalgia, our great nostalgia march has gone from like, you know, 80s Stranger Things into into the 90s, and now I guess with Pop Punk High at the vanguard of it, right, off-off Broadway, um, a sign of things to come, and now it's crept into the early 2000s. Yes. Um, and we've got, oh, by the way, we also have a Dick Cheney biopic <laughs> coming out. Um, yeah, I know, the year 2000, starring of all people Christian Bale. I really don't know what's going on with that. But anyway, it's like the late 90s, early 2000s, I suppose, are having their moment now in the year 2018. Um, what else is, 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 is this moment really coming back? Or what else are we going to see that... Uh, uh, of this age. You know, I was seeing a lot of weird nostalgia 10-year anniversary pieces on the financial crisis, right? Like, that's been all, right, all yeah. right? Like, hey, guys, remember 2008? And it's like, yeah, I do. It was horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I don't know. Do you think the, like, the half-life is going to keep um, getting shorter? And it's I'm like, afraid so. It's like, hey, guys... Like, remember 2017? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> is, you think this is like, 
is it an internet thing and the and the kind of it's like a combination of um of of Oh, whether it's twenty four hour news cycle and um and social media that then we feel like we're living um like several lifetimes every week, <laughs> and so that then uh because like it's like hey guys, there's gonna be like a nostalgia biopic for like the Kavanaugh confirmations like mm-hmm. that comes out next week. It's like, hey guys, remember this crazy time it's like <laughs> yeah, that was last month uh, <laughs> I don't know, I mean, what do you think, Rachel? I think that does happen, and I think that is happening. That it, we are, we are kind of living many lifetimes, and we there's such a demand for content that like we need to, I don't know, we need to think back about everything, right? And everything is everything's up for grabs. Um, I, I think it has accelerated a bit. To your point, it, it's interesting because I think I was thinking about kind of like you know as far as closing thoughts. Actually, the way Pop Punk High ends. Right, where the narrator says, you know what, I've spent so much time not giving an F, right, and not, you know, always saying F this, F that, that I realized that it's actually okay to give an F. (laughs) And I I think that's interesting, because I definitely think that it's like sort of like the battle cry of today. Um, But but I also think it's sort of shortchanging even like the portrayal of 2003, because because to your point about the Dick Cheney biopic, like, there were a lot of people very upset about the, about George W. Bush. Like that was a that was a real time and place of like actual anger and rage and people being upset. Like it wasn't like no one was upset and only now are we upset. So I do think there's this interesting kind of like as part of like the I think portrayal of like this time that really wasn't that long time ago being this kind of more naive or adolescent time. There is also this kind of glossing over of like the live reality, right, mm-hmm. of, like, no, people people cared. Like, there was, people cared about different things or it was, like, a different kind. There, there were different problems, but, like, there there have, people have cared, you know? <laughs> and, and even, like, to say that, like, teenagers care a lot about the things that they care about, right? And I do think that there's something interesting about, like, that tension with, both loving and parroting the genre of pop punk. Because to a teenager who likes pop punk, they really like pop punk. And it really speaks to them, right? The sentiment of feeling alienated and, like, like the desire to strike out on your own and be different are, like, very real feelings that people feel deeply. And, right, and maybe they are, like, sort of, like, sold to us. Like, maybe that's, like, a whole other podcast about, I don't know like the myth of the individual or something, but like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but you know, these that's, are, the, that's the great podcast, the ultimate po- podcast of the soul. <laughs> I think ultimately I do. I do think there's like, I think maybe some of like, I really like this musical, but I, I did come away from it having somewhat mixed feelings, feeling like it, there's like a little disservice to, I think that like the real earnestness of punk of punk at least, right? That there is somewhere in this core of, of the core of it all, there is a real earnestness. And maybe that is what the Derek guy gets to. He he finds the core of earnestness in all of this. But it, it isn't it isn't just like a, a look or a, a a carefree attitude. Like there was I think there is real heart in there somewhere. And and maybe that is the point of the show. It's like trying to find the heart of that spirit. Yeah. 
there is real heart uh, in the show. There's real heart in this podcast as well, too. So um, we hope you've enjoyed listening I'm, I'm to this. I'm nostalgic for this podcast already. <laughs> like, this is such a great podcast, and I'm going to oh. I'm going to make a musical about this podcast. You know, we just finished, and I already have a lot of ironic attachment from this podcast, so if that. <laughs> um, if you enjoyed what you listened to, please let us know in the comments. Let us know your thoughts as well about nostalgia in general, the pop punk genre of music and styling in particular um please do let us know in the comments um we didn't get so much into comments on uh last week's episode on a star of born um a star is born if you've seen that movie please uh weigh in there and we'll read some of those comments on the air for next week uh until then and to do all those things that i just described visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it It probably probably doesn't deserve. deserve Power cord, power cord. Opens his playbill for the show and finds that tonight the part of Avril Lavigne will be played by Harvey Firestein. He was a skater boy. Says he a later boy. Power cord, power cord, power cord. Hey, it's Mark again. As promised, here is a recording of my high school pop punk band's hit song, On the Day. This was recorded in 2001, and the name of the band was The Shady Characters. Hope you enjoy it. So they sat him down and taught him well Taught him all the things he need To be a doctor or a lawyer Or a white-collar office worker But they never thought he'd play guitar For a rock and rolling band Or that they'd find a way to make it big And take the world by storm Cause I know he's got rock and roll In his blood The only thing that he can do Is play guitar all day Cause he's got rock and roll In his blood He wouldn't make it any other way so that's what he'll do Housewife, maybe even president of the PTA of the local high school, where she sent her kids while she watched soap operas all day long. No, for a two, maybe even Rosie, yeah, but they never thought she'd play guitar for a rock and rolling band or that they'd find a way to make it big and take the world by storm. Cause I know she's got rock and roll. 